Thank, thank you, Josh. Yeah. Ooh, thank y'all. Y'all know how to make me feel special. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, like Josh said, I, uh, my name is Mariah Felder, and I have the pleasure of being the youth pastor. Those are my kids. Um, they're the best. Um, and I uh, am a proud Gen 2-er. So can we make some noise for Gen 2? Yes, Gen 2. Um, so I had the pleasure of coming to ECV in 2016. So I'm really enjoying the series and, and getting to think about um, and hearing cool stories about what has happened before I got to ECV. Um, but before I came to ECV, the idea of community and like this whole like we're a community and we have generations, that whole idea was very foreign to me, um, especially in church. Uh, I grew up in church and I was just like, mm, I don't. I don't know about this. And if you've heard me talk about how I came to ECV, um, the first thing I always say is that when I first came to ECV, I thought it was so strange how much people seemed like they liked each other. I was like, you guys just seem like you're so happy to see each other every week. This is strange. Um, because I grew up in a church where we just saw each other on Sunday and we just put on our happy faces. Yeah, I like you, sure. And then like, don't see each other, don't think about each other, and then next week come back. Um, but this church, ECV, taught me... Um, so much about community and has been the way through which God uh, showed me what it means to be in community with people. Um, and one of the interesting and hard things about being in a community uh, is, especially in church community, you don't get to handpick everybody who's here, right? Um, and sometimes committing to people seems a little easier when you've chosen that person, like you pick a friend or a spouse. Um, and speaking of spouses, although they may factor into uh, your decision, before you marry someone. You don't really get to pick your mother-in-law, um, and there are stereotypes about mother-in-laws and relationships with mother-in-laws. Um, so the story we're gonna uh, talk about today, I think is that much more uh, remarkable, given uh, yeah the stories that people tell about their mother-in-laws. Um, and that's because we're talking about the story of Naomi and Ruth. Um, and as we look at this story of, of Naomi and Ruth, I think uh, they will, their story will have something to say to us about what it means to commit to one another um, as part of our community, even despite generational and ethnic differences. So before I go any further, uh, let me just pray for us. God, thank you uh, so much for this gathering of people. Um, thank you for bringing us together. Um, you are the... Uh, yeah, you are the cord that binds us together. Without, uh, without you, Lord, there is no community, there are no generations, and there is no church. Um, so be here with us. Um, you are the one who makes all of this possible. Speak through me, your servant, um, that your people may hear what it is you have for them. So we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so today we'll be uh, looking through the book of Ruth. Um, it's a short book with only four chapters, but there's so much good stuff in those four chapters. Um, so we're going to kind of walk through the story today. Um, and when the book of Ruth starts, um, Naomi is married to a man uh, named Elimelech, and they live in Bethlehem with their two sons. And there was a famine in the land, um, so they, uh, in the land of Bethlehem, so that means just food was scarce. There wasn't a whole lot of food to go around. So they moved their family to Moab. And uh, Jews and Moabites haven't really had a great relationship, but they moved because they needed to feed their family. And after the family settled in Moab, Naomi's husband Elimelech passed away. He died, leaving Naomi to raise her two sons. 
And then eventually the sons got married to Moabite women who were there named Orpah and Ruth. And then, unfortunately, both of those sons died 10 years after having moved to Moab. So in the span of a little over 10 years, Naomi loses her husband and both her sons. That is grief that I can't even imagine, right? Her whole family was gone. The people that she had depended on, the people that she had uh, been with through the thick and the thin were gone. So she's in the midst of her grief and then she hears that the famine is over in Bethlehem. So she's ready to go back to her home um, and to leave the place that I'm sure held so much sadness and so much grief and so many hard memories. So Naomi packs up her stuff and she travels with her two daughters-in-law on her way back to Bethlehem. And then after a while, she's like, hold up, hold up, we have to stop. This isn't fair to you guys, you guys have to go back. She's like, I can't provide for you. And Naomi kind of lays out the facts of her situation. She says, hey, if I got married tomorrow and I, had, and I gave birth to two sons, like you, would, you couldn't wait right, for them to grow up to marry them. So I have no way of providing for you. I have no way of providing you husbands. There's nothing I can do for you. So you guys just should turn around and go back to home to your mothers because following me is not, is not gonna lead to good things for you. So she's weeping and she's sad about this, but she's like, I have to do, you know, I have to look out for you guys. So turn around and go back home because she had nothing to offer them. But each of her daughters-in-laws made uh, a decision that was right for them. I will, uh, I won't, you know, uh, praise, I won't discard Orpah for what she did um, or discourage her for what she did, but they did what was in their capacity. And in verse 14, um, it says uh, that at this moment, at, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And then Ruth replies to Ruth. She says, go back. Like, look, Orpah, she's packing her back. She's going the other direction. Go with her. But Ruth says something that has, a passage that has become particularly popular, especially at Christian weddings. Um, uh, but it's this, pas it's, uh, this passage about, uh, where Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your, and your God, my God. Where, I, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. That's, that's a declaration of love right there. And, Naomi, and when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. In choosing to cling to Naomi, Ruth demonstrates this idea of hesed in Hebrew. Um, and there's no adequate definition in uh, in no adequate translation in the English, but the concept is of loyalty, loving kindness, or faithfulness as a result of commitment. Like that is, it's, it's not just uh, doing something nice for a person, but having a sense of love and commitment. Um, and a lot of times we see that word uh, in terms of God to his people, um, but also we see it to one another. And, this, and we see this, uh, this idea and uh, this word has said in, uh, in the story of Ruth and Naomi. And it's something we see throughout their entire story. 
Ruth chose to go with Naomi, even though Naomi had seemingly nothing to offer her. And would actually make surviving as a widow even more difficult um, because Naomi couldn't work out in the fields, so Ruth was going to have to provide for both of them. She had two, feet, two mouths to feed rather than one. But regardless of the outlook of the situation, Ruth showed that has said that faithfulness to Naomi because of the commitment she had made in her heart as a result of their relationship. Now, scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about their relationship before um, they, uh, they left uh, to go to Bethlehem, but I would have to assume that Naomi had to be a pretty great mother-in-law if she's like standing there weeping with her two daughters-in-law about separating. Like, that sounds like a pretty great mom-in-law. And then the fact that Ruth would then commit to go with her. There had to be some form of like deep bond and uh, faithfulness and love there that Ruth, that Ruth could even make this commitment. But um, yeah, so we just see that Naomi is, we can assume that Naomi was a, a very faithful person and Ruth returns that faithfulness to her. And in verse 14, when it says that Ruth clung to her, uh, the one of the first things that it made me think of was uh, Genesis 2:24, where it says, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And in Genesis, most uh, folks kind of take that idea as clinging to be a romantic or sexual in nature. Um, however, most, uh, some New Testament scholars, including James Brownson, argues that clinging is not the same as becoming one flesh. And it doesn't necessarily have a sexual connotation anywhere else in the Old Testament. Um, so what I take Brownison to be saying is that in the same way that Adam was clinging to Eve, uh, formed this new bond of kinship and marriage that overcame Adam's isolation because he was looking for a helper. He was looking for a, com a companion. In that same way, Ruth clinging to Naomi formed this new, deeper bond of a chosen family. They no longer had uh, the person who connected them had died, right? So they had no responsibilities, no ties to each other they could have just went their own way and it would have been fine. But throughout this story, um, we see that they are embarking on this journey and they're forming their own familiar bonds, their own commitments to one another. Um, and throughout the story, we see these two ideas of commitment and kinship, making a decision to love and creating a sense of family and, uh, and community that wasn't there before. And for some of you, um, I'm, especially thinking about me first coming to ECV, you might be feeling a little resistant to this idea, right? You're like, family is the one that you have, right? You were born with them, you have them. Like, you can't just pick up and create one. Like, you just have the people you have, and those are the people you, you deal with, right? Um, but I would beg to differ. Um, I think, in, especially in Western society, um, especially in uh, white parts of society and along class lines, I think people, can deeply value our nuclear family, right? Like my four and no more, right? You have the, right? You have, you have the, uh, you have you know, the mom, the dad, 2.5 kids, which includes the dog, because dog is half a kid, right? And that's family, right? And and then you may have your extended family, but that, but the concept of family is often sometimes well defined. It's like these are the, this is family, right? Um, but I can only speak. I know for people of color, and I can only speak for black people. Um, we have very loose definitions of family. Um, 
a cousin could just be anybody you've, you've known for any p period of time. Um, and even thinking about this sermon, I was like, oh, I see no difference between my uncle Danny, who is my dad's brother, um, and my uncle Kevin, who is my dad's best friend since seventh grade. Um, and if you ask me what my uncle Kevin's kids, what their relation to me is, I'm going to say they're my cousins. How does that work? I don't know, but it's just they're cousins, right? And if you ask me how many cousins do I have, they're included in that number, right? Because they're cousins. Um, Family is just whoever you decide and like choose to commit to. Um, and I think that's an idea that uh, is really a blessing if, we, if and when we choose to accept it. Ruth and Naomi didn't have to remain family. They chose to. And I believe that God invites us into a more expansive idea of what family is. Family are the people you choose to commit to, the people that you choose to love. And uh, quoting my favorite movie, um, because I feel like that it, it, it perfectly sums up what Ruth is saying in, uh, in this beginning of the story. She says, uh, quoting my favorite movie, Paid in Full, she says, everybody eats. We all, uh, let's see, I got, everybody eats, okay? We all gonna eat. Um, and that means that everybody in the circle, everybody in the gang, nobody goes hungry. We all eat, everybody eats. So Ruth, this was Ruth's mentality when choosing to go with Naomi. She said, everybody eats, B. We all going to eat, okay? Don't worry about it. We all going to eat. She said, I can't promise you much else, but like if I'm eating, you eating. Um, and the, even though that is a concept that I very much appreciated in gangster movies, um, but uh, was not one that I always found uh, very appealing in my own life, um, like I said, the idea of this whole commit, committing to community and all of that, when I came to ECV, very foreign. I wasn't for it. I was like, people are temporary, so you don't get used to people, because everybody leaves at some point, especially in New Haven. People are temporary. So you don't invest in relationships, they'll all go. Um, but I came to ECV, and all of that kind of got wrecked. Um, it, in 2017, um, actually at a night of joy, um, I met my best friend. Um, who is the person who has taught me so much about what friendship and the idea of said is. Um, so when I first met Asia Brown, um, I, wow, wow. I deeply resisted being friends with her because I, like, I fought it. Somebody was like, oh, you guys seem like you're getting along. No, mm -mm, we're not. You guys have a lot in common. No, we don't. We have nothing in common. I don't like her. Um, at, the same, at the same time, like, I'm texting her and we're hanging out and we're making plans. Dude, no, I don't, I don't like her at all. Um, because I was just like, I shouldn't have this much in common or like people, no, I'm not for it. Um, but eventually I gave, I gave in and uh, we became friends. Um, but I spent the first several years convinced that at any moment I would get a text saying, hey, I'm over you, I'm done. This is like, we're just not friends, bye. Um, so I was like, okay, like, all right, now that I've committed, people are temporary, so she's just going to decide. No. Um, the text never, never came, and over time, she uh, showed me that she genuinely wanted what was best for me and wasn't planning to go anywhere. Um, this is the photo I picked. Um, so, uh, and I don't know if I have ever experienced a greater level of loyalty and commitment than in seasons when I was going through uh, a deep depression. Many times, uh, she was the only one who saw through the hardworking facade. I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm good. I'm out here doing, she's like, you are not okay. 
I was like, no, I'm fine, look. I got everything on my, on my to-do list done, I am fine. Um, but the first time I experienced depression, I was interning in Ohio for the summer and she was interning at the FDA. So she didn't have free time, um, but she still FaceTimed me and sent me videos every time she got a chance. We would regularly take walks to the local CVS for me to get snacks, and I'm just like walking to CVS, like on FaceTime, uh, like multiple times a week. Uh, and then when I moved to DC um, and found myself again struggling to get out of bed, like not wanting to do anything, um, just living just felt like too much work. She worked from home every single Friday. So she would send me these mini inspirational sermons um, every single Friday. Like, and I mean, it would be like a full, well thought through sermon every Friday when I got up. Um, and there were often song selections to go with it. Um, but like, that was her way of letting me know that she was there um, and that eventually everything was going to be okay. Um, there were many days where her encouragement was the only thing that helped me to get out of bed. Um, but when I moved back to New Haven, she was like, okay, great, you're back, but that doesn't solve anything. So she gave me a deadline. She was like, this is your deadline to get a therapist. And then when, and then when I, uh, I was like, oh no, I'm overwhelmed, there's so many choices. She was like, cool, I'll help you figure it out, but you still have a deadline, right? Um, and she has gone out of her way time and time again to stand with me when I feel like I had nothing to offer in return. In my, in my personal experience, Asia is the definition of loyal love. Um, she is, uh, as somebody who did not grow up without a sister, she is the sister that God knew I needed. Um, and I think uh, Dr. Renita Weems, uh, in her essay on Naomi and Ruth, I think she puts it perfectly. She says that the first commandment of friendship is to be a sister to a friend, even, even when she is in neither a position nor disposition to reciprocate that that sisterhood. Um, and that's where I was. Um, and Ruth, much like Asia, committed to Naomi regardless of whether Naomi was in a place to reciprocate that friendship at first. Naomi was heartbroken and in such a place of grief. She even wanted to stop being called Naomi because Naomi means pleasant and her life was anything but at the moment. So Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi was like, my name doesn't even fit me anymore because my circumstances have me down so bad. She had nothing to offer, or she felt like she had nothing to offer Ruth and, uh, at the, uh, when she told her Ruth to go away, but now she still feels like she has nothing. And she says, she's empty, right? Without her, her husband, her kids, she's like, my life is empty. Even with Ruth standing right there, and Ruth's like, okay, yeah, I'll let you have that. <laughs> Naomi was too old to work in the fields, um, gathering food, but Ruth could. But Ruth didn't know anything about being a Hebrew woman in society, but Naomi did. Ruth went to glean the leftover grain from a man's field named Boaz. Um, and she found favor with him because he heard about Ruth's loyalty to his mother-in-law, to her mother-in-law. But Ruth didn't know where this man came from or who he was or what his relationship was, right? But Naomi knew, she said, oh, he's kin. Okay, he's a, okay. I, she's like, I see what's happening here. Okay, we can make this work. 
So she came up with the plan for Ruth to marry Boaz so that Ruth would be cared for. And Ru Naomi's, uh, Naomi's whole motivation was, you need a new husband so you can have stability and you can be cared for. And in that, Ruth was blessed, but so was Naomi. Ruth was eventually blessed with a husband and a child, but because Boaz was related to the line of Ruth's first husband, that child continued Naomi's family lineage that would have died out with her first two sons. Ruth's blessing was Naomi's blessing. When Ruth committed to her, she said, our fates are tied. When I succeed, you succeed. When I eat, you eat. So when I get blessed, you get blessed because I've committed to you. I've, we've formed these bonds to be together. So we're gonna be together, whether that's grief or whether that's in blessing. And when Ruth's child was born, his name was Obed, the, the same kinswoman that Naomi said, call me Mara because my life is bitter, are the same women who acknowledged her blessing as a, as a result of being with Ruth. They said, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who has this day not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and in who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Back then, that's, that's saying a lot because Hebrew women, they love their sons, right? Like, if you did not have a son, you were like, they were like, okay, you have a daughter, but like, do you have sons? So to say that somebody's worth more than seven, like, that's high praise. The woman of the town were remarking on the way that she had gone to, from grieving and feeling empty uh, to this new expression of family. All of this started because of Ruth's choice to cling to Naomi. And Ruth's love was the way that God brought healing to Naomi's heart. To, that, brought, that God brought this fullness to Naomi. And I think we also see that every time Ruth or Naomi tried to care for the other woman, there was a blessing for them as well. So like I said, Ruth goes, to, goes with Naomi to take care of her, but Ruth also prospers in Bethlehem. And Naomi helps Ruth marry Boaz for Ruth's stability, but it also provides stability for both of them and continues Naomi's family line. And I think it's interesting here that we don't hear a lot about the direct actions of God, like God did this, God did that. But I think um, that, this, that this is something to pay attention to. I, what I think uh, the author is conveying here is that the love and provision of God didn't come through miraculous means where you can say, oh, it was only God, right? It came through regular people's decisions to love faithfully and serve one another the daily decisions to choose one another. So I think one of the biggest things that we can take away from this story is that love is a choice and we can choose to love and commit to those in our lives and to trust God to move through those relationships. And sometimes it's in our relationships that we can most visibly see the healing power of God. And you may never know how God might use you to heal someone else by you choosing to love and bless them. So um, I want to offer a few invitations um, as I get ready to close. A um, few questions that just might provoke uh, you and some, pro some processing between you and God. What might be preventing you from receiving the healing power of love? 
Are you sitting here saying to yourself, like, much like I would have, all of this sounds real good, but relationships like that aren't for me. I'm not that type of person. I don't, I don't get things like that. Um, is it pain? Is it fear? Is it disappointment? Um, I'd encourage you to um, invite the Lord into that, to get prayer, and to bring that to God and say, God, hey, I feel like I'm not that type of person, but I still have like this, this little bit of, of like desire and longing there, and like maybe that's doing something, and I, and I invite you to bring that to God. Um, and yeah, to ask God for that healing, because your healing isn't just for you. It's for the people around you. It's for our church, our community, right? When uh, we, we are healed as people, it uh, makes everybody's experience of community better. Um, then my second question is, how can you lean into committing to our community, right? As we are a people who have chosen that this is the church that we are calling our home, right? We have committed to be together. Um, how can you lean into that commitment? And I want to say that if that is a question on your mind, you took the first step today. You came. You showed up. You came to the gathering, right? Um, even if you're watching on Facebook Live, you still showed up. You still clicked. So you get a gold star, too. Um, and if you have taken the step to come and together and gather, um, it's, it, it's the first step to building those relationships that, that we want, those relationships that God can really work in. And showing up is oftentimes the biggest hurdle. And then if you want some extra gold stars, if you're in a home group, you get another gold star, right? And if you're in triad, you get another gold star, right? And if you're, if you're missing those last two stars and you want them, talk to Patrick. He got you. Um, he would love to help you or anyone else on our staff would love to help you getting connected to a home group or a triad um, because those are other places where you build those relationships um, that God really moves through and we're able to bless one another. Um, I've had some beautiful, beautiful uh, home group uh, relationships and home group experiences that God has um, really moved in. And then if you feel like you have solid relationships and you're committing yourself to our community and you, and you have key relationships, but you still find yourself longing for more from your relationships or specific types of relationships, and you're like, yes, God, I'm not like technically lonely, but there's something missing. There's something that like I feel like I don't have that I need or I wish I had or I desire. Um, I just want to say that that could be a sign of God's activity in your spirit, kind of stirring up some desires that um, to bring to him. Um, to ask. So I invite you to ask God for what you desire and uh, possibly to find ways to model it for others. Um, as a Gen 2, or, uh, Gen 2, as I said, um, I think there's always been, uh, especially, I would say, uh, yes, is kind of representative of our generation. I think there's a kind of mentorship that I've desired, a type of discipleship that I've desired. Um, and I found that um, I really see Gen 2 doing it for Gen 3, of like, oh, uh, like, for example, the way I see Seamus loves to serve, right? And I'm like, Seamus, I see myself in you. So I'm going to tell you, here's the thing, here's the encouragement, here's the ways I can bless you um, to tell you, hey, here are the things that I did that kind of led to burnout and led to some unhealthy habits. Um, and I want better for you, right? Um, I mean, that I've mentioned those stories in other sermons. Um, but, right, like, I'm like, here are the ways that I want to bless you because I want to see you be well, right? Like, I, I see the way that you have a heart for our community, and 
I want you to be well. Um, and then I've also had the pleasure and like the ability, along with Kiana as a family pastor, to bless like Gen 1, right? And to be a blessing through their kids and to build relationships that way. Um, and I've seen, and I've just seen the ways that, um, that God allows us to kind of have relationships both ways, where I, there are ways that even though sometimes I'm like, what do I have to offer Gen 1? Like, you guys have been here, you guys know all the stuff, you have all the wisdom, like you, like you guys have it. Um, but I have found that there are ways that um, we're able to bless each other up um, as well as bless the generations that come after us. Um, so I just want to uh, give these as, as invitations to you to ask God what God may be doing, what, what he may be stirring in you. Um, what are ways that you can, um, yeah, be removing the walls that are preventing you from the healing power of love? What are the ways that you can commit uh, to lean into committing to a community and uh, ask God for what you desire and possibly model that for others? So uh, the worship team can come on up. Um, and I just want to pray for us as I pass it off to Todd, who may have some other senses of what me, me, may be, uh, what the Holy Spirit may be inviting us into. So God, I just want to thank you for, uh, yeah, for the people in this room, for the people that you have placed in our lives. I thank you for uh, the gift of community and the ways that you work through it. So, Lord, I pray that as we move into a time of prayer and worship, that you really stir our hearts, that you, uh, yeah, that you stir our desires um, and provide uh, the love and the healing and help us to commit to one another. So, God, I ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.